Well, as we're getting into God's Word, I, I think that this next generation is going to be significantly more difficult and more exciting than perhaps we've experienced recently, in the last couple of generations at least. More difficult, more exciting, and more significantly more, or more significant in spiritual terms. Now, maybe my thinking is colored a little bit along these lines because we've just been through a series in the book of the Revelation, right? Jesus is coming, like, like tomorrow, okay? But actually, if we wait a while, I think these are going to be difficult and yet exciting times. You've heard me say we are rushing back to the first century. Now, I've been, not only as I was preparing for this, one last um, kind of digging into one of the nativity accounts and seeing some things there that we might not, might not normally see, uh, but also I, I've been preparing for our last Old Testament survey class tonight. And in that Old Testament survey class tonight, we're studying exciting books like First and Second Chronicles. And Ezra, full of, well, there's genealogies in these books, and there's all these records and history of a long time ago. And yet, those books written in the after the exile years, when God's people need to know how will, do we live in the midst of unbelieving peoples? How do we continue to live faithfully among those who have no faith in the one true God? And that's what those books are written for. And they have a lot to actually to say to our generation. I think we're in and we're entering all the more into that kind of an era today. How can you and I not be discouraged by the opposition, by the difficulties that will come in the midst of life? How can you and I be ready for the opportunities which God puts before us in specific ways that we can serve our Lord in the midst of this generation. I want us to look today at an episode where Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Now this episode steps back in time. We, we, have, um, we considered a couple weeks ago when the angel Gabriel came and made the announcement to Mary. And then last week, after uh, following the children's program, because this, the message of, of, of um, uh, to Joseph, don't be afraid to believe God, that fit very well with what the kids told us in that Christmas program. We did that episode with Ryan, Pastor Ryan last week, um, where the angel makes a similar announcement to Joseph and tells Joseph not to be afraid, that he can believe God. But in the midst of those two probably comes this episode. All, within a matter of days of the angel speaking to Mary and telling Mary not only is she going to bear a child, but that her relative Elizabeth is already six months expecting. And her relative Elizabeth is very old. This is like Abraham and Sarah all over again. And uh, now, by the time we get to Joseph in that episode, uh, Mary has been found to be or seen to be with child. Her pregnancy by then has apparently become evident to others. It's not just that she told Joseph that she is found to be. It's evident. It's seen. And so this episode occurs within those three months and, and actually within the days 
So there's the chronology. Mary has had her announcement. Joseph hasn't yet, but Joseph is soon going to see that something is different with Mary. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. We'll read the first five, six verses. In those days, immediately after this announcement, Mary has received this announcement that she's going to be be with child by the Holy Spirit. That's how God is going to do this. And we're to understand that this happens to her, in her, almost immediately. Because by the time she gets to Elizabeth, she's already expecting. Okay, in those days, in a matter of days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, maybe 80 to 100 miles away. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. One of the first things Mary does, hearing this word from the angel, is she goes to her relative Elizabeth. Now, does she go to Elizabeth to see, is it really true what the angel has told her? I don't think so. I think she goes because she, believe it's, she believes it's true. And she needs to see, she does see, her faith is going to be strengthened by being in the presence of another through whom the Lord is working. God is working in Elizabeth's life. It is evident, and Mary is going to be strengthened herself in seeing it. Let me draw a comparison for you. Have you had those times when you prayed for something? Maybe it was a big, big thing. Or maybe it was just a little but personal thing. And in that thing, as you prayed, God answered, and it was clear, and it was specific. And whether others thought God's hand was in that or not, you knew. And you were so excited. Look, you were telling somebody, God answered my prayer, and you're so excited. And if this was a very spiritual and knowledgeable and not too helpful person, they might have said something like, well, Okay, what didn't you expect? Don't you know that, yes, God does hear and answer prayer? And yet, yes, 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 I knew that. But isn't it exciting in the midst of knowing and experience? It's not a matter of do I believe God hears and will answer. Yes, I believe God hears and answers. And yet it's exciting when I see it and when God does it. And that just refreshes us. And that is, I think, what, one of the reasons that Mary goes to Elizabeth. That, that Elizabeth is going, we are encouraged by God's working in others. And at the same time, the Spirit is going to enable Elizabeth to be a blessing to Mary. So Mary has the freedom as a young woman. She's maybe 16 years old. She is betrothed, but she's not yet married. She does not have a household of her own that she's responsible for. She is still in the house of her mother and father. So as a relative, somebody in the family ought to go and help Elizabeth. Elizabeth is is an older woman, and she's now expecting. And she needs help and assistance. And a, a not yet married young woman is the perfect candidate to go and help her relative. 
And so Mary goes to help. And Mary is certainly sanctified in serving. Doing that which we can do for others by God's help does strengthen us for what will come ahead for us. But Elizabeth, even, even more than Mary is God's provision for Elizabeth, Elizabeth is God's provision for Mary. See, she is God's gracious help for Mary to help Mary embrace and believe, to empathize with the shame and ostracizing that Mary is going to be experiencing herself. You see, Elizabeth knows something about this. Elizabeth has gone through life as a woman in Israel who could not bear a child. And whatever the reasons or the cause of that, they're unknown to us until God miraculously intervenes and answers their prayer. But Mary knows what it's like to hear the whisperings around her. Huh. Yeah, Zechariah is a priest and all that, and they're both from the, the priestly families. They have that heritage. But yeah, there's something, there must be something not quite right with that couple because God has withheld his blessing from them. You can imagine the whisperings, the, the assumptions, the knowing looks, the, the, the shame that they feel because that blessing of their own child that they longed for has not come. And in that culture, much more than ours, that was a hard thing to bear. Mary knows something about being talked about by others. And so she's a safe person for Mary. She's somebody that Mary can be prepared through. To in the midst of hearing the whispers around her, Mary, keep your eyes upon your Lord and keep your ears tuned toward his promise and the word which he has given to you. You know, we would wish that God always helped in making things go well for us in life, making our life a little easier and, and shielding us from hurts. But often, through hardship, like Elizabeth has endured in life, often through hardship, God shapes us, like Elizabeth, to be God's help to others in the midst of their hardship. Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians. He talks about uh, to comfort one another with the same comfort that you have received from God. In the midst of our hurt and his comfort, we are able to then be a comfort by God's grace to others who are going to need it. Not only does she know something of what Mary will experience, but Elizabeth strengthens Mary by speaking God's truth into the circumstance. Elizabeth can do this because she is filled by the Spirit. Now, hold on a minute. We're still, Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't risen. There's nobody yet in, the, in this New Testament church age who is filled by this, who is indwelt, rather, by the Spirit. So what is this being filled by the Spirit? How is that different but from the indwelling of the Spirit that we know? That the Spirit of the living God can actually come and house down with us. Be in close and personal relationship with us. The Spirit of God dwells in each believer in Jesus because something has changed about us. Something that was not true in the Old Testament. Now, in Jesus' death for us and his resurrection, my guilt has been removed. 
God has separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. So now there's no sin that separates me from God's presence. So though I will, be, I will dwell with him in the future, but he dwells with me in the presence because there's no separation. It may feel at times that you're distant, and yet God dwells with you. But that's different from what Paul also tells us, to, to not be under the influence of wine, but be filled or influenced by the Holy Spirit. So even a Christian who's indwelt by the Spirit is supposed to be filled by that Spirit, or influenced by the Spirit, or under control of or yielded to the Spirit's leading within our lives. So to be filled by the Spirit also involves our response to the Spirit's leading, and it's God's enabling and empowering for particular words or service. So God strengthens, and He did this in the Old Testament. He did this in the time of Jesus. He does this among His people today. The filling, the enabling, the empowering by the Spirit, and by the Spirit... Mary is able to speak words. You know, in the, in the Gospel of Luke and also in Luke's Acts, anytime Luke says somebody is filled with the Spirit, it is always connected with the speaking of God's Word into a situation. That God, by His Spirit, will help you to speak words into a situation, and you didn't even know the full impact of those words. You didn't know. The Spirit guides things that you didn't know enough to know to say that. And yet you speak those words, and it means far more than you realize. The prophets experienced that. Didn't some of the prophecies of the nativity come to us out of circumstances that God was speaking into in a moment 800 years earlier in the life of somebody, and yet that prophecy rings into the future and points to Jesus? The prophets of that time are speaking more than they realize. And do you know, filled by the Spirit of the living God, enabled by God's Spirit upon you, you also will be able to speak into the lives of others more than you realize, more impact than you could know. You didn't know about the circumstances that those words were going to touch. You see, being filled by the Spirit is not merely for us. I want to be filled by the Spirit so that I have some experience. That's not it at all. The filling of the Spirit is for the speaking of God's truth for others or for the serving of others in some way, God's enablement. And Elizabeth, that's how she's able to make a difference in Mary's life here. Now, there's an important side note. Not only is, is Mary filled by the Spirit, but her child would be filled by the Spirit from within his mother's womb. And Mary describes, under the enabling of the Spirit, Mary or rather Elizabeth describes something that happens here. She says that, that the child leaped for joy within her when she heard Mary's voice of greeting. That somehow, moved by the Spirit, this child knew something it could otherwise in its own natural ability. Does a six-month child still in the womb know anything about, really understand what's going on in the room around them? Probably not. And yet, John the Baptist, at six months in the womb, responds in joy when the mother of his Lord enters and says a word of greeting. He doesn't recognize that as a six-month-in-the-womb baby, but the Spirit 
knows that. The Spirit will give you insight you don't have, and the Spirit will lead you to do things that are beyond your own comprehension, what you're aware of. Not only that, but notice this. It's a side note. But this baby within her womb, which is already filled by the Spirit, there's a personhood recognized. There's a personhood recognized and a responding and a working of God through that person already while still a baby within his mother's womb. And that tells us something not only about that that child still in the womb is a person, can already be filled by the Spirit, but it tells us something about Jesus' humility. We think about Jesus and how amazing it is that God would come into humanity in person, that God would manifest himself in the humility of a little child laid there in a manger. And that itself is amazing. But think of that God would humble himself to enter into our humanity. And the great God of all creation would make himself so small, smaller than a raisin, inside of Mary's womb. And yet there is the Son of God, already fully in human person. It, 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 it kind of stretches our mind, it stretches our comprehension concerning the humility of our Savior, how low he would go in order to lift us to be with him. Grab hold of my attention, just laying that as an aside. But one of the things we see here is that Elizabeth, in speaking by the Spirit, truth to Mary, she strengthens Mary. Christians strengthen one another in the same way. Notice that Elizabeth doesn't tell Mary what to do, but she tells Mary or she reminds Mary what is true. She doesn't necessarily tell Mary things that she doesn't know, but she reminds her of what this is all about. She reminds her that God is working through her. She reminds her again of God's unique and special blessing upon her. You know what I thought of there when I thought of that? I thought of small groups and D groups. Those smaller circles here at the church, and in January, we're looking to be starting new groups. Will there be the opportunity to, to fit into maybe some of the groups that already exist as well as forming new? There'll be some new D or discipleship groups forming. And one of the great things that happens in those groups, in that smaller circle of closer encounter, life-on-life -life ministry, people know one another. Pray for one another. Share weakness, fears, insecurities together. Confessing our sins and praying for one another, like in a D-group situation. I thought of how D-groups can do what Elizabeth does here. That some of us know the circumstances of one another, but in knowing one another, we can also speak God's truth. Remind of what God is doing. It might be something like, you know, I see this gifting in you. You have, you blessed me, or God worked through you and blessed me in this particular way. Just in the midst of that relationship, able to point out God's working in the life of one another, even as Elizabeth here points out to and reminds Mary that God is working in your life in this way. 
We can do something of that for one another, but it only happens in a smaller circle of relationship, like that relationship that we get to look in on here in Luke chapter 1. Christians strengthen one another by telling us in another's voice things that we know but still need to hear. Things that I know I still need to hear from others. Things that you know and you believe that, yet we still need to be reminded that God is in our midst, that God is working, that this is what he has promised. And that helps us in the midst of difficulties. Elizabeth affirms that Mary does believe. And so we also remind one another of what we believe together. But what does Mary believe? Do we get some insights into that? We've heard from Elizabeth. Let's turn our attention now to Mary's response. We have here a song, and, and these next verses, probably in your Bible, I suspect that they're indented or they're put in a different font. In some way, they stand out as different, don't they? It's not just a continuing narrative. But now as we hear from Mary... Mary has this, it's a song, it's a poem, but it's more than that. It's a collection of Old Testament truth put in Mary's words. There are cross-references, there are allusions. Sometimes she quotes almost directly. Other times the words just refer to similar words that capture the thought and emotion of an Old Testament story. But in these ten verses that we're about to read, just in the ESV, In the ESV, they provide these little tiny print cross-references. I have to squint to read them now. Little tiny references that point to somewhere else that this, this passage is referencing, or maybe it's echoing, or maybe it's quoting from. And in these 10 verses, there are 43 times that the ESV translators point to those. I think there's probably more allusions than that, but they just didn't want to be overly repetitive. Let's read through this song of Mary. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. They might not all immediately, but they will. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained for about three months and then returned home, probably after the child was born. What is it that Mary is referring to here? What are some of these? What I want you, what I want you to see here, and I'm just going to show you a couple of them just to sort of whet your appetite or maybe just lay some of the evidence for this, that Mary has hidden God's word in her heart. Mary, as a 16-year-old, roughly, somewhere in there, 16-year-old young woman, she has put more of God's Bible into her heart than most of us know. She's tucked it away there, and so that in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, it leaks back out of her. She is well-grounded in God's Word. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know she's echoing 
Hannah there in 1 Samuel chapter 1. When Hannah also so wants a, a child, and she has none. And yet, and she's misunderstood. The priest thinks she's drunk. And yet she can pray, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's an echoing also of Psalm 69. Though, though people reject, God will restore the humble and the needy. In verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Echoes Psalm 35. Then my soul will exalt in the Lord, rejoicing in his salvation. It's a psalm of vindication against those who wrongly accuse. Mary's going to hear some of that. Psalm 106 uses the same phrasing to refer to God's great deliverance and redemption at, uh, through the exodus out of Egypt. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. This echoes Psalm 126. And there's a post-exile, a, a gratefulness for God's gracious, merciful restoring of his people. And Mary sees herself in that here we are yet under Rome, but God is sending his Messiah. God is going to mercifully, graciously restore his people in relationship with him. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God is going to work mightily, powerfully and Mary believes it. The same phrase, phrasing is used in, in Isaiah 53, verse 1, introducing the suffering servant. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, it starts out differently, doesn't it? Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's a lot of people that aren't going to believe Mary's report. And yet, God's power in salvation has been revealed to her and will be revealed through her to many and to generations and to generations. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. She's catching up all of the Old Testament there that from Genesis 12 when God gave a promise through Abraham concerning a land and a descendant and a blessing that would be to all nations and now the one through whom the blessing comes is coming. She carries him. God has done this. This child, Jesus. You see, Mary is just a young woman, and she has all of this inner out of old. Now, maybe it's just a magical moment, and the Spirit just caused her to say these things, and she never knew any of this. I don't think so. I think Mary has grown up under the tutelage of God's Word, and now it comes together and leaks out of her because of that. She has prepared herself for how God will use her. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. And I want those of you that are under 20. No, let's, those of you that are under 26 and still on your parents' life in, or in, in insurance for medical. You're young. Maybe sometimes others don't take you seriously. Yet hear, the, hear Paul's words to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you for your youth. 
but rather be an example to others. Be an example, for instance, he says, in how you honor older men around you as fathers, how you honor the older women than you in the church as mothers. Treat others honorably and respectfully, but don't let anyone think you're too young. You cannot yet be used. God will use you as you yield yourself to him. And as you invest his word into your heart and life, God will use his word through you into the lives of others, even as he does with Mary's song here. Mary's faith in God's word, encouraged by, shared with Elizabeth, prepares her to return home to experience some of that ostracizing, the shame that an unexpected pregnancy that soon becomes evident is going to bring. She doesn't know yet what others around her are going to say. She doesn't know yet what Joseph is going to do. That hasn't yet been revealed. There's going to be whispers and gossip, but she can know that what she believes that God is doing will one day be vindicated. And Mary will be remembered not merely within her family circles, not merely within that small gossipy village of Nazareth, but Mary will be remembered all around the world as a young woman who believed God's promise and whom God put right in the middle of it for the blessing of others. And maybe not in the same way, certainly not in the same way, but cannot that be true of any one of you? That dare we to believe that God will do what God has said, then God will likewise use us in the midst of his gracious and merciful working in the lives of others. That, I think, is Mary's message to us. You see, blessed is he, in verse 45, if we turn back there, blessed is she who believes what God has said he will do. That's the requirement. That's really the entry point as well, isn't it? Blessed is she. Mary puts this unusually in third person. We would expect Mary, uh, uh, rather Elizabeth to say to Mary, blessed are you who have believed. I mean, it's just the two of them there, right? And yet she puts it in this third person, a little more distant, a little wider reach. Because what is true for Mary is true for any who will believe that what God has said, he will do. God has said, he has sent a Savior so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God has said that he will take your guilt, your shame, and he will lay that upon Jesus on the cross so that we instead would have his rightness with God. That we would be restored through Jesus into full relationship with him. That's what God has said if we would accept it, receive it, believe it. Blessed are those who believe that what God has said he will do. And we will also we will also be that blessing to others. That's true for entrance into the Christian life, and that's true for ministry to one another as followers of Jesus. Blessed are those who believe what God has said God will do. Similarly, in verse 30, God's mercy in doing great things for me so that all generations will call me blessed is not just limited to Mary, 
but it's for all who fear him. It's for all who fear him. As Jesus said concerning any of us, the humble will be lifted up. Those who hunger will be filled. The poor in spirit, realizing our need, they are the ones who will receive his kingdom. Blessed are those who believe that what God has said, God will do. We wait for it. We long for it. In the midst of the difficulties of life around us, and I know just some of those troubles that some of you are bearing. I get little glimpses here and there into the burdens that members of our body bear and ache with some of those. Wish I could do something instantly to change them. And so we long for the promise of what God has said. We look back to that study in Revelation reminded of his coming, and we cry out, Oh, Lord, how long? And yet, we believe that what God has said, he will do. Can you believe what God has done? Can you believe that God will do what he has said, even to enter into this new life in Christ that he would give to you? Or maybe as a follower of Jesus, you would say, Lord, I believe, help me then in my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help me to encourage others in what you have done and what you are doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, I, 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 I pray first this morning for any that are in our midst here or, or those perhaps that are connected around us as family or friends, those we work with, those we live near. Father, others that you have put in our lives who need to know that what God has said, God will do. Who need to know something of the hope and the promise that is in Jesus. Lord, would you indeed open their hearts to hear, to believe that what you have said, you will do that your promise concerning Jesus is true and can be true for them. If they would only say, perhaps this Christmas time, God, I do believe you concerning Jesus, whom you sent for me in my place to save and restore me into right relationship with you, not only today but forever. God, I receive that just by believing you, thanking you. Oh Lord, help us to be eyes open and aware that you would, in fact, use us in the lives of people around us. Father, by the enabling, the empowering, the strengthening, the filling of your Spirit, would you use us to not only encourage one another, but to speak your truth to those around us so that they too can know and believe that what you will say you will do. Lord, we rejoice together this Christmas in remembering, look what God has done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.